You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the Literary Briefs Edition. I am your host, Erica Lance. Our sponsor today is Skunk Brothers Spirits, coupon code DWA10. Please check them out. My amazing and illustrious Aquaman shirt-wearing co-host is Danielle Orsino. Um, If you're watching the YouTube, you already know that, but whatever. Give it away. It's nighttime here in North Carolina. Um, (laughs) uh, And our amazing guest, this is what happens when I have way too many ciders this uh, time of night, is Rob Sanborn. Welcome, Rob. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. I forget to let you say what you're supposed to say, Danielle. That's okay. You've been drinking. It's quite all right, as hopefully all of our viewers and listeners have. So we'd love you to please go on and like and subscribe, rate us, give us a little feedback because we need the attention and love because, you know, we're a little desperate for that. Okay. Well, that wouldn't be where I would have gone with that. You know, what's really funny, actually, and we're talking about what we drink. I realized on one of the YouTube episodes, it was very cool. One of the authors, and I really wish I'd written this down before I started drinking, had brought up this um building structure in their book they put it as a page in their book and it was some weird castle type anyway and somebody went and commented on the actual episode with what this tower actually was and wrote all the history with it and i was like fucking love you nerds if you're there fucking love you go ahead and comment on all of this nerd nation unite the tower are you talking about someone wrote about that tower or like showed a picture of the tower on a piece of paper. Didn't you, you showed the picture of the that tower. Me. Yeah. They yeah. wrote about it. Do you see it on YouTube? No. Somebody commented about it. Rob, yeah. check out your YouTube episode. I, I have, but I didn't see that comment. Yo, there's a whole <laughs> comment about the freaking tower. Oh, I'm totally going to check that out. What it was, was, um, and I can show you, it's right here. So, um, See, I knew it all tied in together. I eventually just have to pull this okay, shit moved, together. You see, up. that's all the brain. So it was like a four, it was from a 450-year-old manuscript. So my brother and wife bought me this as a gift because my book takes place in 1589 Venice. Some of it takes place in 1589. And um, so they got this um, like cover from a manuscript from around that time period from Venice. Oh, and nice. so I had just gotten it when I did the first show with you guys. And so I wanted to show it to you because I was so excited. And we were talking about the tower because the tower was part of like the 16th century publisher's emblem. And we were looking at it, it was really cool. Um, I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, that's So somebody said it, I couldn't resist looking up the tower. Here's what I found. No way. Yeah, and it goes into, um, there's a lot of, words that I'm not going to pronounce properly, but it's to God is a tower and strength to me. And it's logged at the university of Barcelona as belonging to the heirs of Simon Galagani of Para. This was a publishing company. Latin phrase was their motto. The company was active in Venice, blah, blah. And anyway, they wrote about all of it. 
So it just goes to show, I love our fans. I love you, That's Dean. Awesome. Wrote yeah, that thank you. I'm going to definitely thank check that you. out. Thank yeah. you, whoever commented on that. I appreciate that because yes, a so version of that we should send them a drinking with authors shot glass. Well, see, Dean, now you have to reach out to me to get the shot glass. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wait, you were saying something, Rob, about the version of the tower, and then we'll talk a, about what A version drinking. of that tower is going to make an appearance in uh, my third book, actually. That's cool. I think you should throw in your acknowledgments to Dean Knight when you read this, because it I might know. give you yes. a little stuff. So just throw in. Dean, we just put you in a book, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Yay. Um, let's talk about what we're drinking because I'm doing so well with it. I was super excited to find Angry Orchard Hard Fruit Cider has a peach mango and it is freaking delicious and not too sweet, which is what I love. So it doesn't taste like a Jolly Rancher. I do love Jolly Ranchers, so no hate on Jolly Ranchers, but you can't like matches drink cans of them. You know, yeah, matches my shirt. It does match your shirt. I didn't even intend that, but good, well Look done that. with that. Ooh, wow. You have to watch YouTube to make that happen. Okay, Danielle, your cup okay. has changed colors. What are you drinking? It's black now. Isn't that cool? Um, I'm drink I'm still drinking my uh peach celestial seasonings peach tea, but it's a little chilly now, but that's okay. I'm happy with it. It was my Rowan Eyes cup, but now it's black. Yeah, I was gonna Let's say now it's safe. just a black heart of darkness, really. Is but that's okay. It matches matches my soul. Okay. <laughs> Rob, what are you drinking? I am drinking a flavored whiskey from Elkins, which is a local Colorado distillery. I do live in Denver. I got this up in Estes Park, which is by Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, very good and great for the season, which now, as everyone knows, is mid-fall. See, that, should, that would make great hot toddies. I was thinking of that during mm -hmm. the podcast. I'm a huge fan of hot toddies as a drink which for anybody who doesn't know, it's warm water, whiskey, I know, whiskey, lemon, and honey. That's and, what makes a cloves, hot toddy. Right? And cloves? What? And cloves? If, if you, okay, that's, Rob, you're going fancy. You're getting a whole level of fancy. We're just, we're, some well, of us. probably has cinnamon and cloves in it. So, you well, know, that's what I was going to say. You can use cinnamon whiskey and then brilliant, Ooh. you know? Totally. My, um. I got, I went to Salem, Massachusetts recently, not in the middle of Halloween, by the way, I saw some pictures would never go during Halloween. That was terrible. But, um, I got this hot toddy mix, which has lemongrass and cinnamon and like you soak it and then you put the whiskey and blah, blah, blah that I got from Salem. And my boyfriend was like, this is the best hot toddy I think you've ever made. And I was like, shut your mouth. Mainly because I don't have the fancy shit I bought in Salem and there's only a limited supply of that. So he's just going to have to go back to the old school version of my hot toddy. But I love them during winter. Well, you got to get the witch's brew hot toddy. Yes. yes. It is a witch's brew. It's actually from one of the um, the Seven Gables houses. So um, who wrote that? Oh, my God. I can't um, think of it. Hawthorne. Hawthorne. Nathaniel yeah. Hawthorne. The House of the Seven house Gables. Of the Seven Gables. Yeah. yeah which it turned out he never actually lived in. And I toured that house, yeah. by the way, as a six foot tall human being, I'm six feet tall. Um, I've discovered these houses were not made for people like me under. They any were not time. at all. <laughs> they're, they're little tiny people can go into these houses. I'm standing I there. I literally it. feel like Shrek. I'm like, I'm going to just break everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, he never, he never lived there and, and not, and, but it takes, 
much of the story is set in that house. Um, but that was like the first gothic story. He he kind of invented the, the genre of gothic horror, even though only part, only a very small part of it. There's like, if I remember correctly, there's like one chapter that's kind of like a ghost story, but it's a cool book, actually. It's really cool. Yeah, there is some, it's so interesting because we did a whole ghost tour in Salem and stuff. I'm getting totally off track here, but it's very interesting because one thing I didn't know, and I, I say this with, it is terrible this happened. The witch trials only went on for about a year. People don't know that. Like the witch trials mm -hmm. only lasted about a year before the English sort of governor who was over this went, what the F are you guys doing? Knock it off, stop it. Like, this is dumb. And 19 people died from it, right? Yeah. And what a lot of people, like I kept thinking everybody was burned at the stake. I don't know about you guys, no, but like the impression, I, I know that's not the case. Listen, I'm bringing myself into the education realm as you two are shaking your really? heads. Thank you for being on board. But I literally in my head thought there was a lot of people that were burned at the stake for being witches. You see all these movies, all this stuff that's like burned at the yeah. stake. No, they were hung besides one guy who was crushed with rocks. And yeah. but everybody else was hung for being a and witch. I, and I think out of the 19, three or four and drowned. Right? No, no, they literally. Salem history, all of them were hung besides one. But this is counting like official trials. What happened after the official trials is they let everybody go that was supposedly a witch that then recounted and said, yeah, no, I was a witch. Really sorry about that. They treated them horribly, tortured them. But then there were gangs of people that went around to kill all the people that had been released. And I think that's where the drowning, the burning at the stake, all that. Because they had the malapis malpicorum. Yeah, by the government. But I felt very educated after learning all of that stuff. From More of it was done in Europe. Yeah. Because so, of, uh, yeah. The by the way, corn, if so. a child has a weird dream that sees you in a black outfit, you could be a witch. So just be prepared for that society. We could be on the brink of that going to happen again. Definitely a witch here. So you can use this YouTube against me. Okay. Erica, you had an amazing question you wanted to ask that you told I me did. Are you. you ready for it? Thank you, Danielle. Yes, you ready? I am ready. Rob, you have to pick one character from your book and cast that character. Because if you listen to the previous podcast and you're drinking along with us, you know that it doesn't make sense to cast all the characters. But I want you to pick one and cast it. And then, Danielle, you're going to do the same and so am I. So book... And then the character you want to cast, or the person you want to cast as a character. Ooh, words. Does the actor need to be alive? I don't care if they're alive or dead. We just talked about the Salem Witch Trials. Go for it. <laughs> and apologies to Ian McClellan, but he's, he died, right? Who, Jared R. R. Martin? No, Ian McClellan. Ian McClellan? Who played Gandalf? Magneto? Yeah. No, no he's, still he's still alive. Is he? Yeah. Well, yeah. Ian, Ian, I'm sure you're listening to this. Sir, Ian, and my apologies for thinking that you're deceased. Um, but I'm going to actually go with him. So uh, one of the characters in my book is uh, an older man named Enzo Paganelli. And he's kind of like this kooky guy who's been living in the shadows for 20 years in Venice, Italy. He's been ostracized from the community. Um, and he becomes 
a very important supporting character who's who helps the main character. But I really like this character a lot because his motives are very gray. You don't necessarily know if, what he's doing and why he's doing it. And um, so, uh, but he's a very, very cool character. And I think that he would need to be played by an older person who really can pull out that emotion that this particular character has. So I'm gonna go with uh, Ian McClellan playing my character, Enzo Paganelli. I like Good answer, good okay, answer, Danielle. good answer. Um, I'm gonna go voice actor, since I, I always see Locked Out of Heaven as um, an anime. So I'm gonna say for King Jarvok, Will Arnett. Voice oh, wow. Wow. Okay. That's actually kind of shocking to me. Lego Batman. I think he's I got know. a great voice. He does, he does have voice. an amazing, don't get me wrong. I think he has an amazing voice. I'm just saying that is not who I would have necessarily thought of for Jarbuck. Okay. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I can say that having read her books. So <laughs> um, I have to say I, for my um, Dahlia Lance novel, uh, My Home on Whore Island, I would love a younger Jennifer Coolidge to play, you know, Stifler's mom to play the lead character. She has, she is just so brilliant. I love her to death. She is one of the best improv actors out there. A lot of people don't realize that about her. Oh, I love her. Yeah, I absolutely love her. And I think she would have been a perfect Brandy. She's great and best in show. Oh, a lot of people don't realize Best in Show didn't have a script. Like a lot of those movies. What is the name of the guy who does those movies? It's um, Rob. Um... That's okay. I'm asking you. The, the audience is like, Rob. Uh, <laughs> right now, people are screaming at their phones. They, they are. But we, we've been drinking for a little while. I mean, his name is at the tip of my tongue. Um, but yeah, but it's um anyway this, this is i know the movies so this is spinal tap best in show um waiting for guffman right it's another one no absolutely christopher guest right christopher guest sorry I'm not yes right. christopher Guest. wins i just googled that only reason i know it but a lot of the christopher guest movies a lot of people don't realize they get handed sort of character sheets a kind of a plot outline of what's going to happen and they, and they improv the entire movie. Yeah. And they're brilliant. Brilliant actors. Brilliant. Um, and that, you know, Eugene Levy has always been in it. Oh. Catherine O'Hare. I love them. I love Catherine O'Hare. Like, she literally could do no wrong to me. Parker Posey. That's another person. She can play Alex, by the way. They've worked together in my screenplay. Okay. So, Rob, since you were last on our podcast... Tell me the best book you have read or listened to. That's a great question. So first of all, the last time I was on a podcast, I believe uh, was back in January or February. You're doing stuff that requires me not to have drunk nearly as much as I have, but I appreciate it. Thank you for doing that to me. So I absolutely loved the Lincoln Highway by Amor Towles. Great, great book um, that I read and reading 
we were talking about the Sandman earlier. I mean, in terms of audiobooks, I mean, the Sandman part two just blew me away. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay. Um, Danielle actually has a prize question, but what about a book? I'm going to let her ask her amazing question that comes up. You haven't been asked this question yet. You haven't been on with Danielle. Um, what about a book that, uh, like a TV show or a movie that you watched that was from a book adaptation that you thought was really good since we last spoke? So I literally just we just finished watching Rings of Power, which I know is not actually from an adaptation. And it has so messed me up because some of it was great, but some of it was just God awful. And it just went like that. And it's been in my head for a while now. So like that show has been occupying my head, but I know what the answer is because I do think that it has been since, and the adaptation to show that I'm going to go with is The Expanse. So mm -hmm. if you're a sci-fi fan or any sci-fi fans out there, um, The Expanse is the adaptation of a whole book series, um, not called The Expanse. The first one is called Leviathan Wakes. And it's kind of like Game of Thrones in space to a degree, because, you know, the best part of Game of Thrones is, in my opinion anyway, isn't necessarily the dragons and stuff like that, but like the politicking and the characters yes. and the incredible world building and the epic nature of that world going from the desert to, um, you know, the north and beyond the wall and all that. And so if you were to take that and put it into the solar system and go from Earth to Mars and the asteroid belt and that kind of thing, um, you kind of get the expanse to a degree. It takes place, I think, about 200 years in the future. So it's not like Star Wars. It's very, very, very realistic science fiction. And the show adaptations are, are amazing. I like that. You know, it's interesting you say that. And then I'm going to let Danielle answer, ask, uh, ask her question, which is a brilliant question that I love. But um, one thing about Song of Fire and Ice, I think, is the Game of Thrones prequel that was just done, right? And one thing I realized while watching it, and I don't think I appreciated it as much when I read the books or watched the first series was... And this is true with Expanse, and this is why I'm bringing it all together, because I've watched The Expanse and I love it as well, is the danger and fragileness of the interactions. Yeah, I think Because there is no person truly in any of the shows, and as evidenced by the ending of Game of Thrones, but we won't talk about that anymore, with complete power. Mm -hmm. Like, it really shows you how fragile and if it's done really well how people can um pontificate as if they have the power but how truly fragile power is yeah. and how you have to play that chess game correctly or your standing is totally screwed absolutely i think that's a ph phenomenal way of putting it you know with both shows the best parts are when things are at the brink of war and the brink of collapse. And then the tension and the conflict and the drama just comes out of that organically. And you know, you're riveted, whether you're reading it or watching it. I agree. Like political intrigue. I think that's the inner this the workings on the sides. Mm -hmm. 
of how everybody's viewing the same argument, I always find that most fascinating is that how they're all interpreting the exact same moment. I think that's, that's just so interesting when you can watch two people argue and see everybody take that argument in and how they apply their own emotions to that argument and then process it. I think that's just, and that's always so interesting. I completely agree. And a testament to the quality of the writing is that each one of those characters has their own individual agenda. Yep. And I like that. And I like when it's not spoon fed to you. Mm-hmm. I like yeah, that yeah. in the series, when something, when you come back around to it and go, that's why they don't like them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it. Okay. I get it. I, I like that. And I think, if you can hang on through a series for those moments to then sit back and go, now I get it. I think that's more interesting, even in a book when they do eventually make things into series. I always find those moments to just be those little glitters where you sit and go, I get it now. Yeah. And it obviously doesn't need to be sci-fi or fantasy. You look at a show like the West Wing and Mm -hmm. that's why everybody loved that show for all those reasons. I actually just finished the latest season of The Blacklist. I absolutely love that show. I think that show is one of the most well-written, like, layers upon layers that you, like, because it, you know, it has a, a, a show that covers one person on The Blacklist. Don't get me started on how much I love James Spader just in life, but I love, like, the writing on that show, they've done it in such a way that they haven't backed themselves into any corners which I think is brilliant because I think a lot of shows, a lot of authors back themselves into corners without realizing they've created a corner for themselves. And and then it's very hard. And that's where you throw the reader out of the story or the watcher when you're trying to go, just kidding this corner that we all saw that we backed ourselves into. We're just pretending that didn't happen and we're doing this other thing. And I think when you have a show or a book where the author, and this is, author advice out there when writing regardless if you intend to write a series or not rob will talk about this you have to write your book that you don't have corners or blind you know alleys that you back yourself into that you can't get out of because if you don't write it with the availability to expand the world you can be screwed or the availability to more importantly Mm -hmm. expand a character in the world because you've gone nope this is who they are black and white this is what it looks like this is you're done then you go okay because no person is completely evil good or evil completely good right yeah and if you write a character that way it's the smart way to do it Mm -hmm. yeah okay danielle ask your question my love okay here we go all right ready so you are going to run into one of these three mythical or crypto creatures and prove their existence which ones do you choose or which one a ufo bigfoot or the loch ness monster which one by do the you way there's a right why? answer to this question and then there's your dad very very <laughs> there's no price. right answer there might be a preferable answer there's no right so the question answer. is which one do i which one do you flip? want to run into and why Oh, which one of those would I want to see in real life? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, which one would you want to see? Answer. A UFO, obviously. Damn, see, that UFOs. wasn't the right answer, but continue with why but you okay. chose. Why? 
why would you choose a UFO? Just wondering, just wondering. Okay, well, first of all, I will say I do not believe in Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster for the simple reason that by this point, somebody would have actually have seen them. But I unequivocally believe in the existence of extraterrestrial life because mathematically it's impossible for it not to exist. Now, whether they have come to Earth in flying saucers is another story. But to meet life not from Earth, I think, it, you know, to, to, let, me, let me back up for a second. To see Bigfoot, if Bigfoot exists or the Loch Ness Monster exists, like that would be cool, but it would also kind of like be like seeing a bear or a giant lizard, right? Like I've never, maybe I've seen a monitor lizard in the zoo. I definitely have actually, but like to see one out in the wild, like a really, really big one. Um, yeah, it'd be kind of cool, but it would also be super scary. Um, and same with like Bigfoot, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to see that because obviously it could rip you to shreds. It'd be kind of like seeing a silverback gorilla in the wild, right? Like it'd be cool, but you'd also be like, okay, let me hide. Now, granted, an alien could potentially kill you too, but to see life not from this planet and potentially being the first, that definitely, in my opinion, takes it to the next level. Okay. Okay. So, by the way, Loch Ness was the correct answer to that question. So, okay. just you know, Danielle's going to show up on the shore. Nessie's going to come forth. She will ride Nessie into the yes. lake, and it will be a mystical occurrence. That's how that goes. Yeah. Um, Rob, did we ask you on the last podcast what your favorite weird, weird food combination? I can use all my vowels and consonants. Very good. I don't think so. And I don't know if it's weird, but I am a, an absolutely massive fan of dark chocolate and fruit. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's weird. I okay. love dark chocolate and fruit. So we're going to need you to go weirder than that. Okay. Well, I used to, does it need to be a combination or just an unusual thing to eat? Okay. Well, just wow me here. Let's see if you, you, you got that. Combination wise, I like wasabi on kind of anything. Um, Kind of. Yeah. I really love the flavor of wasabi. Um, And then non-combination things. I kind of really like eating sort of exotic stuff. I used to be a lot worse (laughs) where I would kind of like seek it out things like, I mean, I've had scorpion and stuffed water bug with, um, with chicken stuffed inside of it. I've had bees on a stick. It hasn't always been the uh, insects, by the way, uh, jellyfish. I was going to say, you just listed a bunch of insects. I've had yeah, chocolate so, covered uh, kangaroo. not a fan. Um, kangaroo? Yeah. In Eric, Australia. I'm not eating kangaroo. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to eat kangaroo I either. I don't know where we would get kangaroo besides maybe Australia in which to Chelsea to... might know, but I'm still not doing it. You can order these things. So I, I've ordered a lot of this kind of stuff. I do draw the line um, at, yeah, I don't eat endangered species, obviously. And I don't eat anything that would be considered a pet. Okay. okay. Good to know. I have had monkey brains. No, I've never had monkey really. brains. That I probably would not eat. That, that probably crosses the line for me. I had a Dutch teacher um, when I was very, very young. And one of the things she thought, we tried cow brains. There was a lot of things she thought we should try. 
Um, I tried them there. I am definitely not one of the, I love trying new foods in different food combinations, but after some of the stuff I've had, I feel like I've had puffer fish. I I'll feel like some of it is just yep. to yeah. say you had it instead of yeah. like, this is going to be an enjoyable meal. Like it's kind of like the hot wings contests and stuff like that for me. Yeah. I like hot I, food, but I like hot food that has flavor and not hot food just for the sake of being hot. Same. Right. I do not like it when my tongue feels like it's going to fall off. The yeah. blowfish actually I had as well. And honestly, kind of tastes like flounder. It's not really anything particularly great. And so that's my whole thing. It's like, if I'm going to try a, some food combination or some way somebody makes it or things like that, I want to try it because it's flavorful and it has a different flavor than look, this is this exotic thing that I did. And I can say I did it because um, most of the time I found those like sort of shock factor things do not have a great taste to them. Like when I tried puffer fish, because you know, you could die from eating puffer fish, whatever. Again, I don't even remember what it tasted like, but I remember going, okay, like, yeah, this is not great. I have not won anything from doing this other than going, I ate puffer fish one time. That's and true. I just, I'm good. you're good. I'm good. I'm, yeah. good. I'm good. I did like a little bit of sea urchin once. Because Just my once? Taekwondo instructor made me do it. Oh, see, to me, sea urchins like normal. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a sushi thing. But again, like I'm not a huge fan of octopus or really? squid. Like oh, I am yeah. not. See, a to me, like squid and octopus is like that's like French fries getting calamari oh. or something at a at a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. See, but grill. I prefer a grill. Like I actually a nice grilled octopus or a squid. I think is phenomenal. Yeah, I just, I think it's rubbery, no matter how I've had it. It's kind of like okra. Let me just put it this way before anybody says they prepare. I've had okra literally 37 different ways. Okra is garbage. This is a vegetable that should not exist and period. Like I have zero interest in it. People are like fried, blah, blah, blah. The only time I can stand okra is if it's done well in gumbo. That is literally the only time I have any interest in okra whatsoever. I just think there are certain foods that we don't like love. Like that's not, you know, people can get excited and be like, this is the greatest thing. And other people are like, eh, but is I'm it? just a chips and salsa girl. You know, I'm just good. Chips and salsa, we good. I'm clean. But what kind of chips? We can get into an entire debate with what kind of chips and are they homemade? Are they, you know, deep fried? Do, you know, you could... Danielle, we just go lime tostitos and we call it a day. <laughs> We're not going to call it a day. That is not a chips and salsa kind of day. Sorry. Sorry. Although lime tostitos are good, but nothing beats homemade tortilla chips. And nothing beats homemade tor tortillas either. They're so easy to make. It's incredible that, you know, like every Mexican restaurant should just make their own tortillas. That's I think a, a lot of real Mexican restaurants make their tortillas. It's they Taco do, Bell not, that does not all of them, though. And it's, a very easy thing to do and it's such a huge difference you know what one of my favorite mexican things we're totally on a tangent here danielle come yeah. up with a better question after i'm done on this tangent <laughs> right here mole i love uh, a good mole I on the chicken chicken mole is amazing danielle yeah. this is something you will not hate trying it is a 
type of sauce that they will put on generally chicken that is got chocolate in it, but it's not like sweet chocolate. It's just, oh, it's Mexican chocolate. Yeah. There's a restaurant in Santa Monica in LA um, that has probably about seven or eight different types of mole. Very good. Mole can be amazing, but it's one of those things that can either be amazing or the restaurant should never produce it again, ever in their existence. <laughs> Danielle, come up with a better question. We're down a food track right now. Okay. What is your spirit animal, Rob? I'm going to go with a liger, a half lion. No. Oh, wow. Okay. Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Wow. Totally you in your pants you too while we're at this? No, honestly, my spirit animal is dog. I love dogs. They're some of the best animals on this planet. They're probably better than humans as well. Uh, yes. So I would, I'm going to just go with dog. Dogs. Is there a particular kind thing. of dog or just dogs in general? I'm going to go with Border Collie. Border so, Collie. I have an English Shepherd. Pretty close. Nice. My dog is a lab border collie mix and she's great usually, um, not always, <laughs> but hey, what animal is perfect all the time, right? So, but I do love border collies, you know, they're, um, they're smart, they're loyal, they are energetic and they're fun and loving and they're good dogs, so. Good answer, that's the best. Okay, that makes up the Loch Ness Monster thing. You're forgiving. <laughs> Barely. Okay. Barely. Maybe I should have said Loch Ness Monster is my spirit animal. No, that's mine. No, nobody. So what, what is <laughs> no, what is mine. what is the animal though? See, that's the thing. What's the species? Is it like it's like a Nessie's brontosaurus? Just, no, Nessie's just a mystical creature. Nessie is just Nessie. Is a brontosaurus. You don't put Nessie. This is getting very dangerous. Please, I wouldn't go down this path if I was you. I'm I'm <laughs> warning you, even though we're not next to each other, this would be a point where I would be nudging you with my knee, going shut up. It's like <laughs> a small brontosaurus that. Is eternal. It's, a, it's the most perfect plesiosaur ever. And it's just waiting for me at this moment with, with a specially made you know saddle. You should add to this question, Danielle. When I went to Iceland, I went to Iceland this year. Beautiful. If, you, if you've never been to Iceland, anybody listening? They have their own monster too. They, they do have a monster. But one of the things they talk about is the invisible people which are the trolls and the elves that live in the different highlands and stuff like that. And because Iceland, when, even when I was there, had an active volcano going and they talk about the invisible people and that's what they call them, the invisible people, mm -hmm. which are all the mythical fairy type creatures that are in Iceland. Yeah. I got to do a photo shoot there. I almost went. Yeah. I talked to a boat captain because um, like you do, like I do when I go anywhere. I talked to a boat captain that actually retold the story to me about an invisible, in one of these invisible creatures that he saw and his experience with them. And it was like this very poetic, <laughs> I do not have time on this podcast to recount this story, but it was a very poetic, beautiful time for him to experience this earthen spirit. So I believe you need to add invisible people to your question, Danielle. You could okay. start a new podcast called Drinking with Invisible People. I could, but that is kind of sometimes how I feel about this podcast. I was just going to say, isn't Drinking that where we're monsters. at? Drinking with Monsters. Drinking with Monsters. Once again, that's, yes. that's pretty close to what we're at sometimes. 
<laughs> yes, I was going to say there are definitely some shows where I am like drinking with authors, drinking with monsters, or drinking with cardboard cutouts of human beings, but they're still on the show. But we don't know. <laughs> not this one. Yeah, no, not this no. one. Rob, nope. you are not. I wouldn't even Rob, say that good. if you were one of the people. Anybody who listens to me talk regularly, and I know no. because the people have brought this Although, up, knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> I should. The sun, as you can see here in Denver, is almost going down, so we do need to be careful because things. Are you going to turn into like a werewolf could start or something? Transforming. Oh, that would be kind of badass. Like things to record on this show. Okay, so. Now that you're into your third book, because you're working on that since your second one's about to come out moments from now, what do you think you're writing? What have you noticed about your writing style and stuff like that that you maybe wouldn't have even thought would have occurred to you on book one? Like going into book two and now into book three, what have you really noticed and you're like, wow, I do that or wow, I should stop doing that? The two biggest things are writing from single perspectives within chapters or scenes uh, or um, sections, I should say, or, and also the other one is active writing. And I would say definitely more so with the active writing. So we were talking earlier how I came from a screenwriting background where you write from an omniscient perspective. And so with the very first draft that I wrote of my first book, it was from an omniscient perspective. Um, and so I've completely switched to writing from single POVs within each section or chapter, but what's, that's actually pretty easy to switch to. But I think what's even harder is writing with an active voice. So my, I've taken great strides and efforts to make sure that almost every sentence I write is with an active voice. And now when I go back, the first book, Prisoner of Paradise, is mostly written with an active voice, but I do see things that are not where I'm like, I really wish I can go back in time and change that. But um, moving forward, I write almost exclusively with an active voice. I love that every author on the planet would use their time machine to go back and fix previous manuscripts. <laughs> like, what can you time machine? I'm not going to do, I'm going to go fix my previous manuscript. I'm going to fix one sentence. <laughs> I hated this. It was terrible. Um, Danielle. Are we rooting for Denver tonight? Yes. Because they're not, I'm originally from New York, so they're not playing New York team. So we are rooting for Denver. We're, we're still hoping on that Russell Wilson thing. Oh, we're still riding that pony. That $245 million pony. We're still going to ride that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, sure, I'm, I'm not really a Broncos fan. If any from anyone from Denver is listening, I'm a Jets and Giants fan. So, okay. You're good. You're good. Yeah. Stop it right there. We're just going to leave that answer alone. Five and one New York. We're good. But I'm also, I'm also a Mets fan. So I'm rooting for the guardians to win against the Yankees. Okay. Fair enough. Five and one. Go New York. That's all I'm going to say. They beat the Ravens yesterday. That's all I'm going to say to Baltimore right now. How the so, hell did we start freaking talking about sports in the middle of this? I'm podcast? sorry. Look, the Giants haven't had this start since 2000, like ever. So, you know, it's and been same a long with the Jets. Time. They just beat Green Bay. So, yeah. Yeah. It's I been forgot. a long time Danielle since I can ask that question. A sports show. What is the name of the sports show, Danielle? Uh, Drinking, I think it's called Drinking with Authors Talking About Sports. No, yeah. she legitimately has a sports show. What is yeah. it called? 
Moving the Chains. It debuts October 19th. Oh, wow. Wait, that's two days so, from now. Yes. One yep. of the things a lot of people don't initially realize, unless you listen to the episodes with Danielle, where she was actually featured as a guest, she is an Olympic taekwondo. I'm a uh, WKA, world champion. Yes. What? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a martial arts champion. No way. Wow. Yeah. Let's see some stuff. No, we're not seeing any <laughs> stuff. And just for the record, she's a kind of a big deal. It's, it's yeah. annoying to be around. Wait, so you're time. the world Taekwondo champion? I'm I'm actually the silver medalist for the US team 2008 soft style forms, women's forms. No way. Yeah. Yeah, That's the little impressive. things you find out about Wait. people that you interact with, right? So I'm Eric with security 2008 Summer Olympics. Uh, no, I competed uh, in 2008. I competed in Disney World um, for the World Karate uh, Kickboxing Association. I competed in the World Championship on Team USA. Wow, congratulations. That's very, very cool. Were you She's also in the my Olympics? Bodyguard. She's way tinier than me, but I am really not into the physical altercations, and Daniel is my bodyguard. I'm, yeah, I'm Erica's security. So yes. when we go places, I am Erica's security. That's how this and, yeah, works out. Were you in the Olympics too? No, I was, um, I'm in the Hall of Fame. I've competed in, I think my last count was 500 tournaments up and down the East Coast and across the U.S. Wow. Overall. Are you, are you still competing? No, my Muay Thai coach is trying to get me to do one, one, one match, Muay Thai full contact, like one pro match. But, so you do um, karate and Muay Thai? I do Muay Thai now. I did Taekwondo, Kung Fu, and Wushu. And then I did some MMA as well. Damn. Yeah. See, little did you know, my hosts have this much coloration in their background. So I am, like I said, I'm Erica's security. I'm Four Horsemen security. That's what I do. Nice. Yes. and That's impressive. I drink and I know things. That's... Yes. Erica's drinks and she knows. I'm the tier one. And I take Lannister care of the things she knows. Situation. She's like Jamie Lannister, and I'm the tier one Lannister. That's we just, we just walk around and take care yes. of things. Very true. Okay. So, of course, I have to ask about the Broncos because that just see goes hands in hand. We brought it around. See, Erica, I brought it around. I'm getting good with I'm, bringing around things. Well done. Well done. Good form. Good form. So, um, what is it? Uh, do you think the biggest difference is for you releasing book two versus book one? Time and frustration. <laughs> so I am fortunate enough to have an agent and I have a three book deal with my publishing companies. So there's no question that the biggest differences were just, I didn't have to deal with querying or anything. And I know there's a lot of pros and cons to being a publisher, or also self-publishing. Um, those are things I'm also going through right now as well. But um, for authors who are published uh, traditionally, you know, not having to query and not having to deal with your agent querying to um, publishers is huge. So that for me is by far the biggest difference, by far. No, that's true. And here's the thing. I think when it comes to publishing, before we get into shameless self-promotion time for you, there are different publishing journeys for every person. And you lucked out to a three 
book contract, which is amazing, by the way, yeah. in today's climate. But I think every author needs to choose what the journey that is right for mm -hmm. them is. You know, we have so many authors on the show that are like control freaks. And I love you guys that are control freaks, but you said it yourself. Control freaks and want to be in, like you're a self promote, you're a self published author. Then, if you want to be a complete control freak and have say on everything, you need to self publish because that's not how it works. No matter how great your publisher is with you, they're going to have a say in what's happening, it's part of their business. So, you know, the fact that you have that, I think, is amazing. And that book three is going to come out next year we'll of course have you back on the show and to hear what a, your mm -hmm. next adventure is. And I'd love to hear if your publisher is like, give me another three, you know, that would be amazing. We shall see. Yeah. And you know, to your point, sometimes you don't know what your journey as an author is going to be until you're on it. Yep. You know, so you kind of just have to take that step on the road and see if it's the right direction. Sometimes you can get off the road. Sometimes you can't. <laughs> sometimes you well, have to take that thing, whole journey to the end of that road and then take another road. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think one thing I will state for all authors out there is make sure whatever the journey you take is, you don't sign away the rights to your work. Like no matter what, don't sign away the rights to your work because if they're really a true publisher, it's your work and they'll just help you publish it. But um, if you give away your rights, your choices on going on a different journey become very, very limited. Yeah. Agreed. That is, that is my uh, pontification. One to grow moment. on moment. Yes. Rob, let's do some shameless self-promotion at the end of this literary brief. Thank you. So I am Rob Sanborn, the author of The Prisoner of Paradise and Painter of the Damned and The Swordsman of Venice. This is The Prisoner of Paradise, my first book, um, which is available everywhere. And The Painter of the Damned is the second book, which is coming out on October 25th. And that will also be available everywhere. And then I also have a novella that I released about a month ago, not even actually, about three weeks ago. And that's called The Swordsman of Venice. And I'm showing it to you on my phone because this is an ebook only available on Amazon and it's a spinoff of these books that can be read as a standalone. And if you want to find me on social media, so my website is robsamborn.com and um, that's pretty much my handle on all the social media channels, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, um instagram you're one um, of the few people that threw linkedin on there twitter i, think I forgot all twitter authors should have linkedin places I've but been, i i love that you put it i've been drinking there. normal i am on linkedin enough, but i use it a lot more for my my day job really um but yes and uh twitter i forgot twitter sorry twitter also on twitter I don't think Twitter's offended you forgot them for a moment. They will recover. Elon Musk is watching this and he's like, I was about to buy them. $79 no, billion. Dollars. Rob didn't mention them. I'm not buying them. Get it. I'm out. I'm suing. That would be so hysterical if that was the reason that didn't go through. I would it's love that so mean. much. I can't even explain it. Rob, thank you again for being on the show with us. It is amazing every time you visit Erica, us. Thank you so much, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. pleasure. 
Uh, I said it before that, you know, in this rocky road of publishing, there's a lot of ups and downs and struggles and obstacles and also highs and lows. And But um, drinking with authors is definitely probably at the pinnacle of everything. So thank you so much for doing everything that you do and all for drinking with authors. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. That is so wonderful for you to say. Guys, this has been Drinking with Authors, their literary briefs edition. My amazing, oh, our sponsor today, now that I'm going to remember that before I yep. sign off, has been Skunk Brother Spirits, coupon code DWA10. Check them out. My amazing co-host has been Danielle Orsino. Don't be shy. Like and subscribe. Leave us a little feedback. We love you for it. And our guest has been Rob Sanborn, and we will see you guys next time. Yay! Thank you. Hey, Martha. What? Do you like nerd stuff? I do. And do you like adult beverages? I super do. <laughs> well, then you should join us with a drink. With a drink. With a drink. On, but first, let's talk nerdy. Clink. <laughs> On the ESO Network. We'll see you on Tuesday. Maybe next Tuesday. Maybe. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.